broadcast audio for last night from NBCSN, Rick Allen and Craig Mosbach nailing it. Jenny Simpson once again delivering. Welcome to yet another edition of Track Talk Live. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson with our men on the ground in London, my co-founder Weldon Johnson and a staff writer, Jonathan Gall. Welcome to the program, guys. Good to be here. Hey, Robert. As we just heard, the highlight so far from an American distance fan's perspective uh, over the first four days, what an epic 1500 final. And I mean, where do we start? Do we start with Kip Yegon's win? But from America, you know, it's really Jenny Simpson's win, even though she got the silver yet again, discounted, and somehow she comes away with a medal. And I've got to give... Um, Craig Mosbach, some credit there. I'm very critical often of the broadcasting on NBCSN, but uh, but he did a really good job of predicting what was going to happen 200 meters from the finish. I was watching the race live, watching it on the BBC, but I was timing it on my hand. And when I saw it, I timed the first 200 of the last 400. I saw 28. And I said, my God, they can't keep this up. And, and that's what happened. I mean, you've got to measure your effort. There's only, you know, a human being can only run so fast over the last lap. And if you go too fast for the first 200, you're going to tie up the last 200. And we saw that with Hassan. It looked like she was on the cusp of gold, at least silver. And she ends up fifth for the second straight year. And then Jenny was just sort of in fourth. And like, oh my gosh, is she going to miss out on the medals? And then all of a sudden at the end of the race, you're like, wait a minute, she could have won the gold. It, it was just such an exciting, crazy race. Um, Guys, watching it live, what, what, what was was the British crowd deflated when Muir didn't get the medal? I don't know. I mean, I think there was some disappointment for sure. But, you know, I I, I, I don't know if I was reading it correctly in the, the stadium, but I think it was just a lot of people just sort of blown away by the intensity of that race. And, you know, obviously, I think the cheers would have been louder if she had she had meddled, but it was, they were going nuts down the home straight. And I, I think most people knew that they had just witnessed a special race. And even if it wasn't a British medal, um, 
they seem still seem pretty excited just to see uh, such an amazing competition. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that was the reaction because immediately on the BBC broadcast, they started speculating that she ran a second lap too slow and, you know, what did she do wrong? And in reality, you know, I mean, I think she kind of did a little bit of what of what she did last year, which is, is sort of run for gold and it made too big of a move, but it wasn't crazy. And people, you run, I mean, trying to win a race, like you're going to fault someone for that. She finished 0.07 from meddling. I mean, I thought she, she really laid it on the line. If I was going to criticize her tactics, I really thought as they were approaching the bell, I mean, with, with from between 500 and 400, as they're approaching the bell, um, you know, the, the, everyone realized this is it, we're going. And she was in the middle of the pack and fourth or fifth behind Simpson on the rail. And she didn't like that position. Debaba was going up on the outside. And so Moore sort of popped out and went way wide and made a move up towards the front. And I was like, if she had just been patient and sat mid pack, I mean, I guess she was worried that half the field was going to come around her. Um, but she could have run that whole first turn on, on the second lap in on the rail, saved energy. And then, you know, as we also talked about on in, in the, our recap on, on the website, on the backstretch, you know, Kipiega and his son were started to battle and pull away. And, you know, Moore didn't go right with them, but she definitely left Simpson and went after them. And that may have been why she tied up a little bit because, you know, they, they were basically running 28 on the first 200 and then over 30 seconds um, on the last 200. So, that's you know, and the amazing thing about Jenny is she just knows exactly how much she has in the tank and nails it perfectly. I'd like to go back and maybe I will. I was actually looking at it. They had a NBC when I was watching the, their re- replays today to get that audio. Um, they've got different cameras than the, than the BBC. They have an overhead camera on, on one of those ropes. Um, so it might be possible to get Jenny's 200 and 400 split for that last lap. Yeah, it was a crazy I, race. I mean, the, one thing that, you know, you're seeing was the crowd deflated. Uh, I don't know. The British journalists were a bit. I had two of them come up to me and, like, they wanted to know. Essentially, I felt like they were fishing to find – they wanted me to criticize – Laura's race, you know, and say she went for it too soon. Um, she made a few mistakes. Um, I really think you can only really sprint all out about 150. Some, you know, uh, physio expert could probably tell me it's even less than that. But 200 is pretty hard to go. You know, she gave up a little ground, but it, it was just a gut wrenching race all the way around. I mean, except for Faith Kipiegan, who, you know, barely hangs on another 20 meters, she probably doesn't win. But Laura, you know, she passes Safan Hassan probably in the last 15 meters, 20 meters. And she's thinking, she's probably thinking like, I got the silver, you know. And then, boom, Jenny goes by and casts her Semenyan. So she's left out in the spot. And meanwhile, you're Hassan, you're battling for the gold and you fade all the way back to fifth. So, sure. I mean, we measure the top three are the winners, right? But it's kind of arbitrary. I mean. Safan Hassan, she's the one who really misjudged it. She's got to be kicking herself because, you know, I, I think her and uh, Faith, you know, coming in, they had the best credentials on the year. They've shown they can do it in championship races. Well, I guess Hassan really hasn't shown it. She can do it in championship race. But they look the best. Um, I think, you know, they, they, they left too much out. They spent a little too much too early. And then, you know, the one person we haven't talked about is Castor Semenya. 
they better watch out for her because if she's allowed to keep running this event, you know, it may soon be game over. Um, I mean, it's just tremendous what she did. She'd broken 410 in her life once before this meet. And now she's got a bronze medal. You know, that race goes on another 20 meters. She might have been the gold medalist. And she by far had the best final 300 meters. She just, you know, she said afterwards, like, yeah, I made some mistakes. It's new to me. Um, I, she, 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 she's a, a great interview, a great listen. If you want to go on the site, I mean, get away from the controversy surrounding her. She's an impressive uh, young woman. And, you know, just hear her talk about it and how she puts all that stuff behind her. Um, just, was, there's so many storylines with the race. It, it was, I mean, yeah, more than lived up to it. I mean, I agree with you. Well, though, I actually, why well, I don't think Samina should be allowed to compete without hormone treatment. I we wanted her to win that race. I, I respect her for um for two reasons. I wanted her to win it. One, I respect her kind of like Gatlin, like, hey, she's doing she's following the rules, she's out there, she works hard. You gotta respect that. And then B, I also I, I wanted her to win sort of for a selfish reason for me, making maybe thinking that people would finally realize that, you know, testosterone makes a big difference in sports and there's biological differences obviously between men and women, but then we sort of have a third category of intersex and maybe we have to have a third category of sports for them. But um, to me, yeah, I mean, you're talking about the arbitrariness of it. Well, then I think that was a good word. I mean, if Kasher Semenya doesn't, doesn't win, doesn't enter this 1500, you know, the Brits are all happy because Laura Moore, I mean, she beat Savan Hassan. She beat the world leader now, you know, and she got a bronze medal because she would be third. Um, so it, it is, kind of weird how it all works out and we decide that three or more three is way more important than four um but i actually thought that yeah if you're looking at it tactically i mean ignoring the fact that somebody just basically never run a 1500 life i mean i thought she ran a brutal race she ran basically the entire thing in lane two and was so far back but her last 300 was, was 0.54 of a second faster than anyone else in the field so i think we can uh john since you're half british if you ever watched the bbc Probably find, you can probably find a BBC replay on there. You can blame their announcer. He totally jinxed Muir. I mean, with 100 meters to go, he's like, Muir's up there, and Semenya's too far back. She can't, no way she can catch her. <laughs> 100 meters later, I was like, oh, dude, you just jinxed her. But, yeah, I mean, uh, if you've ever watched Katha Semenya race any distance, uh, I mean, it's mainly the 800, but if you even look at the way she ran the 400, uh, to win the Diamond League final last year, she is someone who comes from behind. And she didn't do that in Monaco in the 800 because she was going for a fast time. But pretty much every other race she does, uh, she will move late. And her, uh, yeah, the 2011 World Championship final at 800, the 2012 Olympic final at 800, uh, she made these big charges down the home straight and came up for the silver. And now she'll elevate it to gold because Sabinova, um was stripped of those gold medals. But, you know, that's not an uncommon... This is a pretty common strategy for Semenya. And I'm just curious, you know, obviously this was her first time running the 1500 in a major championship, but I, I feel like having run so many races this in her career at this point, you would think she would start moving a little bit sooner or learn to, you know, um, be a little bit further up when she does make that move. But she, she didn't do it on... Uh, Monday night, and that's why she only got the bronze medal. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting moving forward with Semenya. I mean, I, you know, she's always got that good last 100, but I think right now the perception is 
oh my god, she's going to dominate this event if she gets starts doing it regularly. But we've also in the eight hundred had that perception of oh my god, she's going to blow the world record away or she's going to at least challenge it, and she really hasn't run any faster than she's been running for years. I mean, she, you know, some runners you. Th- I think based on their form or the way they look, we always think that they're capable of much more. Um, you know, but the other question I have is the immediate future, not down the road, whether she'd run, you know, dominate the 1500. To me, that's not a definite yes. I mean, these women are quite good. And again, she's not running way faster in the 800. People think she can, but she's never done it. So it's the same thing with 1500. Maybe this is all she got. But I do think if she runs a better tactical race, um, you know, she could, maybe could have won this race or, you know, but the, to me, the immediate question for us is, hey, it's kind of interesting that she's moving up to the 1500 and giving herself a more challenge. And I can understand why she did that coming into the year because 800 was getting boring for her, but she's got a real fight in her hands. I mean, she's barely been winning these 800s. Does do these three races, if you're A.G. Wilson or if you're Francine Osamba, are you thinking right now, hey, Castro's going to be tired. I think I'm going to get her. Or does this somehow, despite the three races, 1500s, instead of tiring Caster out, does that give her confidence? And she's like, hey, I'm really fit. What, what, what do you guys, which way do you think? Is it a detriment that she ran the 1500? Or does it somehow help her for the 800? Well, I don't think it helps her. I mean, she's already, she hasn't lost an 800 meter race since the end of 2015. So I don't think she could get any less confident on that front. Uh, it, it might tire, I, does it lower her chances? I think it has to, because, you know, those other women aren't going to have three races in their legs. But at the same time, I think she's got enough time for recovery. I mean, the, the 800 is on days, you know, uh, seven, eight, and 10 of the championship. So she has a few days to rest in between. Uh, I, I think it, it dents her chances a, a slightly, but I still think she has to be regarded as the heavy favorite, um, especially because the first two, I don't think she's going to have any problem draw, going through the first round or the second round to reach the final, um, to be able to do that with minimal effort. So I, I think she's still the heavy favorite in the 800. And, you know, maybe it helps Wilson and me and Sauber a little bit, but I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Definitely something we yeah. have to look forward to. One thing before, you know, let's wrap up, talk about the 1500. We've been talking for about 15 minutes on this. We want to spend the second half of the show getting you ready for tonight's fantastic finals. We've got two finals in terms of the middle distance events, the men's 800 and the men's staple. But one name we haven't mentioned, the women's 1500, world record holder, Gonzebe de Baba. She had nothing over the final 300. And once she did it, she basically packed it in and finished DFL. And the message boards are going crazy. What can explain the decline in form for Gonzebe de Baba? Um, I think the insinuation by many is that the raid of her coaches, Jama Auden's coaching compound when, Illegal substances were supposedly found. Ever since then, she hasn't been running as well. Um, you know, obviously, some nothing has been proven. She's never been charged with a crime, but it is certainly a strange um, coincidence. But uh, did you guys think was that a surprise that Dababa didn't didn't factor, or after her semifinal struggles, were you guys pretty much expecting that? I didn't expect her to get last, but um, I definitely didn't expect her to contend for the win. And, you know, as you said, it's, it's, I don't know, a bit suspicious. She has a history of the past of sort of not doing well at Worlds, but, um, you know, this takes it to another level, I think. Um, 
I don't know. And she, she didn't stop to talk to Mixon. She can be pretty charming and speaks pretty good English, but when she doesn't want to talk, she just acts like she doesn't hear you. Um, so we didn't get any insight from her. She's entered in the 5,000, so I, I don't see why you'd expect her to do anything and come back there and do anything. But, you know, last year in London was after the raid, and she did quite well getting second. So I, I don't know, you know. Um, you know, but back in Moscow, in Moscow, 2000, what was that, 13? She got seventh. So th- that's not dead last, but she was tearing up the world that year and she got last. So she, so she has a history of sort of being erratic at, at the championships. Um, you know, she won great times indoors and fizzle out outdoors. So she's always been very um, erratic. This, this, I think this year she took it to another level. Yeah, we shall see. And, and five thousand will be interesting, you know. I mean, one thing: uh, does does Hassan rebound from the fifteen hundred disappointment and still factor? I mean, definitely think with her with her speed, she could be a factor in the five thousand. Um, you know, Ayana and Alberi may run away from her, but for the bronze, I mean, it was, if she can mentally recover from this fifteen hundred, she certainly has a shot there. And you know, if you want more insight into this fifteen hundred, I encourage you to go to the go to the website and. Um, some great i was really laughing out loud jenny simpson throws shade at Lior moore it was a a uh just to throw it about the race and how people are saying jenny's not good in the diamond league circuit which really isn't true i mean she's won in monaco and pre-fontaine in the past or second and pre i think and you know she's 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 been a factor you know it's just but she's it shines really when it's a rounds race and inside pass how how great was that so if you're a youngster and new to track and field, my advice to you as a former coach is don't ever leave the rail if you're on the if you're in the lead in the race. I and mean, Hassan had the lead coming off the final turn and she left the rail and Simpson was able to take a medal by not running any extra ground. So big mistake there tactically by Hassan. But let's talk about uh today's other two middle distance finals. The men's steeple is what I'm most excited about. I think we're gonna have history made tonight. An American-born male has never won a gold medal at the World Championships. And that was date to 1983. But I think I'm very, very confident, knock on wood, that Evan Jager is going to change that. I I don't see how he loses this race. He's up to a 75% favorite on on the betting websites, Patty Power. And I'm demanding that you guys go into the shop, put 1,000 pounds down. How much will I make off that, Weldon? Uh Uh-huh. Um, that's crazy talk. Uh, you don't see how he can race at all. Um, boring a fall. What do you mean? I mean, like, that's crazy talk. Have you not heard of the name of Elba Colby? Uh, I've heard the name, but he, why would I think that he would beat Jager? He's fourth in the Olympics last year. He's very young. He won the Rabat Diamond League waving to the crowd from about, what, 200 meters to go, and he's still clocked in 8.05. He's been closing tremendously fast. Um, you know, there's people in general, there's people who in general are suspicious of these newfound Moroccans, but, like, 
this guy's upswing. He's very young. So, like, he was fourth at the Olympics last year. Nobody had essentially ever heard of him. Now this year he's upped his game. He's at a whole other level. And, you know, I don't think 805 is his absolute max. Maybe the pressure gets to him or what have you, but you get fourth at the Olympics. So it's not like the guy completely chokes on the world stage. So I think Evan's going to be in for the uh, fight of his life. You know, coming in, everyone thought it might be with Princess Kipruto, the Olympic champion, who won his heat, I think, and he won his heat. He might have been second, but he's an automatic qualifier. And but afterwards said, it's pretty amazing. He's done one fast run workout on the track since uh, the Kenyan Nationals in late June. His ankle's been bothering him, but he's so talented. He's like, look, I'm gonna go out and give it a, give it a shot. And he looked all right uh, in round one. And I know probably Jager thinks somehow he'll be a factor. Same thing with Ezekiel Kimboy. Somehow some of these guys just pull it out every year after year, but. To me, John, I don't know if you agree with this. I think it's between Jager and Alba Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard, I, I really, it's hard to know what to expect out of Conceslis, uh because we really, we just don't know. You know, he, he looks pretty good getting up to win his heat uh, on Sunday. But yeah, it, it's just, it's hard to put a lot of faith in a guy who has done one workout in, you know, a month and a half. So I, I think... I think I tend to agree with you here, Weldon, that it's probably Jager versus El Bacali. And I agree with you that, you know, while Jager is the favorite, I could certainly envision him losing. You know, El Bacali has been, he hasn't run quite as fast, but his performance in Rabat was similar to Jager's in Monaco. Um, and he's, you know, he's very good. He's definitely a lot better than he was last year. So I think it should be a very excited race. And, but I am really excited. You know, two years ago, I remember in Beijing, I was pumped to see what Jager could do against a world-class field, but you know, he, he and he didn't handle it well. This year, I think after the silver last year and not putting as much pressure on himself, he's in a much better spot mentally and a, maybe a slightly better spot physically uh, to handle this the pressure that comes with being a world champ, running in the world championship final, and being the favorite. So I am I'm very very excited to see what he does tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. First of all, I will admit I did not get up at 5 a.m. to watch the steeple prelims. And, and the three heat winners were basically the three guys we expect to contend for gold. Evan Jager, Sofania, El Bacali of Morocco, and then Conceslas Caprito of Kenya. Um, you know, El Bacali's 21. He did run that 805. And I agree with you. You know, he was celebrating way ahead. It wasn't. It was a pretty warm day. And, you know, Jager ran 801 in, um, in uh, was that Paris or Monaco? Monaco. So, you know, and they had similar margins of victory. So, yes, I mean, I, I just, I, I have thought that, you know, Alpacali was second in Rome, first in Stockholm also. Um, so he's had a good season and was fourth in the Olympics, but I, I just, I don't know. He doesn't have, he did run a 1310 indoor for 5,000 this year. I was looking at his other credentials. So he's he's got some. He's a legitimate runner as well, so that makes me a little bit nervous. Um, yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I'm always suspicious of a Moroccan runner, so I, I should, and he seems to be talented. So you put the two together, and, and yes, he's dangerous. But, you know, one thing about computers, how do we know he's telling the truth about one workout? I mean, I guess he's been dropping out of races or not running them, but maybe that's just uh, – could it be a rope-a-dope strategy or sort of a, you know, act like you're not in shape, and then you are in shape. 
Yeah, that'd be genius. If, if Consensus knew who you were, knew Jager reads our site and, and faked him out, and then just throw it on top of it, we by chance got in a cab with Jager's coach, Jerry Schumacher, on the way to the marathon and sort of <laughs> we're like talking about Jager and telling him what Consensus told us. So um, who knows if Jerry actually told Evan that or if Evan's actually reading stuff. He might go into sort of, you know, Zen focus, focus Buddha mode when he's here, but um, it's going to be a great race. It's a great opportunity for Evan. Um, and, and it's sort of a rare, I mean, Ginny gets the silver last night. We had all those six medals in Rio. American distance runners are doing very well, but this is it, except for maybe Bernard Lagat back in the day. Um, you know, but Evan was born here and grew up here and wasn't a world champion before he became a U.S. citizen, or world star. So, you know, going into the race, being a favorite to win, it's pretty incredible. And being such a strong favorite, as you said, Robert, I think, what, 75% of the betting odds. Um, it's, it's, you know, I hope a lot of people watch this one tonight because you, you may not see, see this for a while. Actually, looking at the odds, it looks like they've changed. It's now two to five, down to a seventy-one percent favorite. Um, yeah, looking at the updating betting. Well, I keep on two different sites. One says two to five, and one says one to three. It's the same site actually, which different links though. Um, anyway, I'm seeing Elba Holly at five to one. That would be pretty good odds. Caprito four to one. I mean. Yeah, actually, if I'm a betting man, but I just, as an American fan, thought it would be cool to have a thousand pound ticket, and then when he wins, I could brag about it. It's kind of like those Cubs fans. I guess I could do that for ten pounds, like those Cubs fans who bet on them to win the World Series and then never cash the tickets because they wanted to keep them as souvenirs. So maybe that would be smarter to do on a smaller pound note. Um, but it, it should be, you know, this is just—it's really going to be much watch TV for American distance fans because. This is something that, you know, I know, you know, Matthew Sintra to one goal last year for the men. But, you know, Jager, the reason why I think he probably is going to win is because we saw this a few years ago when he was on, on track for sub nine before falling. Like when he's at his very best, he can still beat the best in the world at his event when they're at their very best. And I don't know if that really can be said for any other male American distance runner. Um, you know, Galen Rupp, as great as he's been, as credentialed as he's been, he's won in 21 against Mo Farah for his career. Matthew Centrowitz, he is a tactical master like Jenny Simpson. But in a rabid Diamond League race, do you really think that he can beat these Kenyans that can run 328, 327, 326? The answer, no. But Jager... He's clearly capable of sub eight. The world record is only 755. So he is, when he's on top of his game, he's as good as anyone in the world. And it's clear to me that he is on top of his game after the 801. Whereas actually what he's getting is he's not getting the rest of the world at their best. Ezekiel Kimboy is a shadow of his former self. Brimman Caputo is not even in the final. And Cecil's Caputo hasn't done a workout in three months. If he loses to those guys, it's never going to happen. So it's really going to be fascinating. And then the other final tonight, let's move on. Um, the men's 800. 
And as we said in our in our semifinal recap, who's the favorite, John? I mean, the world leader career of UTEP in Kenya is out. Um, so many people didn't make the final that we thought would make the final. The U.S. champion, Donovan Brazier, is out. So who do you think? How do you break this race down? Yeah, I, I think it's tough to say, but I do think that Amos, Nigel Amos, I picked him to win the race before the meet. Uh, he didn't look super convincing in his uh, semifinal, but he did qualify automatically. Uh, and I think I just, I trust him more than I think anyone else in this race, but I see... I think six of the eight guys in this race can win it. I think Nigel Amos can win it. I think Shot of Poland can win it. I think Kippy Gombeck can win it. I think Brandon McBride can win it. I think Pierre Ambrose Boss can win it. And I think even Mo Amon could win it. And I didn't, Mo Amon wasn't even on my, I mean, obviously I know he's a two time world indoor champion. He's the 2013 world outdoor champion, but he wasn't on my radar. I was doing anything coming into this meet, but he's looked pretty good uh, in both of his races so far. I think. You know, it's really hard to say. In a in a slow tactical race, I'm kind of interested in Adam Schott. You know, he's you saw in Beijing two years ago. He uh, he took the silver medal and he was boxed in a little bit, and that's why I don't think he was able able to give Rudisha a better run for gold. But if he gets his tactics right, uh, he's very dangerous uh, in a slower race. So he he's an appealing option. But you know. Mc- uh, McBride could go out there and try to go wide to wire. He did he did that very impressively in his semifinal. I don't think he's quite good enough to do it in the final against this field. Uh, and then Kippy Gone Bet has has looked very good. And you know he's as as we mentioned before the after the semifinal round. You know, Korea is the guy who's being hailed as the future in Kenya, but Bet is actually a few years younger than Korea and. He is the world uh, under twenty champion. So I, I think I don't know if I had to if I have to pick. I'm going Amos still, just because he has been the best guy this year. But really, it's it's wide open. I think the only guys who don't have a shot at winning are uh, Tiago Andre of Brazil and uh, the Brit Kyle Langford, who totally shot me by making the final. Yeah, Langford, what about John? He left out one guy six twice in his life, and he's in the final three times now after the semifinal. You guys are missing one guy, Peter Snell. Um, <laughs> Nick Nick Willis sent out a tweet. Nick, two-time Olympic 1500 meter medalist. Yes, he sent that tweet two days ago, and the tweet said, "Amazing to think in 1962, Peter Snell would likely be a favorite against this London 800 meter field." Um, might be actually true. He'd be a, he'd be a factor for sure, and it's sort of crazy. Um, Adam Schott's been a very good runner, but he hasn't broken 145 this year. There's three guys in the final. Two of them are very good, very credentialed. Schott and former world champ Moa Mon, um, who haven't broken 145, gone under 145, and Kyle Langford, as you just said. So it's wide open. I agree with you guys that Amos is the favorite, but he didn't, he didn't win his heat. Um, I think a faster race sort of favors him. Pig on bet, I think, is super talented, you know, but I mean, it's, it, it'll be interesting. I think if McBride leads it, sort of gets him going, that might help Amos um, or even bet. But, um, you know, guys, 
Donovan Brazier's kicking himself right now for not making this final. There's another guy, another American at home, Clayton Murphy, kicking himself for not even making it here. Uh, so it's it's going to be you know a wide open race, and no matter what, you cross that line first, you're the world champion. So yeah, I mean Clayton Murphy's got to be sick to his stomach. I mean he would be certainly in the mix here for I, mean, he, I guess he already won a medal last year but I mean he with with no Radisha I mean the thing that when I look at it I really think that you know Brandon McBride the, the way I see this race playing out is I think Brandon McBride's going to go to the lead and just try to run from the front which is a good way for him to you know that's the way he likes to run work for him in the semi these guys aren't none of these guys have run real fast so if he goes out and runs a 144 flat or 143 high from the front, um, that's going to medal, but and I but I really think that's going to help Nigel Amos. I do not have any confidence in his tactics. Uh, he to me runs kind of. I mean, he's always grimacing, and you know he he runs kind of like a high. Reminds me of like the way a high school runs. You can tell the effort on his face, but he's also like sort of like he's his sort of mindset is like, hey, I got to stay in the front and move. That he makes a lot of little moves and tries to stay right with the leader, and instead of just being patient. I mean, to me is. You know, when I was coaching in college, I would just tell the guys, like, look, nothing happens in the first 800, 600 of an 800. It's always going to come down to the last 150. Just try to relax. Stay out of trouble. You have one move in an 800. Use it wisely. You cannot be moving up and back in an 800 in the middle of the race. You've got one move, so don't waste your energy. So if that happens, I think it's well suited for Amos. Um, I think Amos could win on a slow race, assuming he doesn't have to you know, I, I, like in his semifinal, he basically came to a stop. He can't afford to do that because Shot beat him in that final semifinal. So if this is a slow race, like where the winning time is over, oh, what was Shot's winning time in the semifinal? Like it, I would say, if it's over, well, certainly if it's over one forty six, I, I think Shot's your champion. Um, but uh, it might even go a little bit lower, like one forty five five. Um, but it, it really should be. Fascinating, you know. One one person we haven't had Pierre Mbrasi Balasse is getting back in shape, twenty five to one. So it's going to be another race that just we're going to have to see what happens. I mean, but if if you ask me what's going to happen, I think that I guess my I got Kipiega on bet. It's hard to say who's going to be the three medalists in that one. But you know, age. We we're talking about age a little bit earlier, and who's younger, and it's kind of weird. I mean, in the steeplechase, we're talking about the young Moroccan. He's twenty one. Consensus Caputo, the Olympic champion, is only 22. So that's why I think it's really important for Jager to get the job done now because, you know, he's a little bit older. I think he's 28. Um, so these are his prime years, and these younger guys are probably only going to get better as the years move on. Well, I think we need to turn to the uh... – Premier event in terms of the world, the world will be watching tonight. That's the men's 400-meter final. You got Wade Van Kirk attempting to complete the first leg of the 400-200 double. Um, and he should be challenged. Everyone's sort of, uh, I don't know, at one sack like he's the next bolt and sort of un- invincible. But Isaac McQuala has been running tremendously well. Um, Stephen Gardner has been running very well in the rounds here. Um, and so, I don't know. Personally, I was thinking that McQuala could challenge him here in the four and then even possibly in the two. And McQuala said the same thing. He's run 19-7 this year as well. 
very good, sort of hasn't put it together at Worlds before, but he seems to be at another level this year. Um, he's an older guy. I think he's about 30, which is kind of crazy. And then yesterday was round one of the 200 between the semifinal and four of uh, the 400 in the final. And McCalla didn't start. When we had heard about food poisoning going around uh, one of the athlete hotels, because Thomas Barr, the uh, Irish 400-meter hurdler, didn't start his semifinal. And some of the Irish journalists were telling us, like, they heard he could barely walk upstairs and had to be assisted. And then word came out, you know, McCullough had food poisoning. He'd been at the warm-up track and just didn't have it, couldn't go. And a bunch of athletes are actually in the hospital because of this. So it sounds very serious. Um, who knows, you know, um, how that's going to affect things. But I think it definitely helps Wade and Kirk if McCullough is not 100%. John, how, how do you – what are your thoughts on the 400? Yeah, I don't see – I really don't see how anyone beats him in Nico now because if Nikola was so sick that he couldn't run the 200 yesterday, uh, I think you're already in the disadvantage against Van Niekerk, who's the world record holder. Uh, Steven Gardner ran sub-44 in the prelims, but – sorry, in the semis. But even though he's had a day to recover, I think just running that hard in the semifinals can actually hurt you in the final. And obviously, you know, in the 400, it's pretty brutal. You need to run, uh, you know, somewhat fast just to make it to the final because you're facing the best guys in the world. But Gardner, that was like a, you know, is he really going to run another personal best, two personal bests in three days to win the world title and beat Van Nika? Because I think he's going to have to go, you know, sub 43, 50 probably maybe even faster to beat van niekirk uh i I just don't see that happening whereas van niekirk you know i could see anything for him i think he's i think he'll run he'll run sub 43 50 i think we could even see a world record uh tonight and people you know people were definitely surprised when he said it last year and this year they probably wouldn't be as surprised now 4303 i mean that's a ridiculous performance um it's it's not going to be easily replicated but I also think we haven't really seen Wade, you know, fully unleash as he does. And he always does that in championship finals. You know, his two fastest times ever were the 2015 world final and the 2016 Olympic final. And if we see Van Niekerk, you know, really go all out from the whole, the whole way, you know, I, I, I'm not putting any limits on that guy because he's probably the greatest talent we've ever seen in 400 meters. So, uh, I'm more excited to see what time Van Niekerk runs than to see if anyone can challenge him because I just don't think they can. Yeah, John, I I think Van Niekerk's going to win this. Um, you know, Gardner, we, we saw it at the SEC meet when Fred Curley ran like 44 flat in the, in the first round and then couldn't run under 44 in the final. It's so hard to do. I, I believe only one human being has ever broken 43 in two races at the same championships. Michael Johnson at the 1999 Worlds. So, Stephen Gardner, this could be good news or bad news, I guess, because he ran Johnson ran 43.95 in the, in the semis of Seville, and then in the in the final he did run 43.18, which was the world record. So, um, if Gardner does it again and wins this, yeah, thing, but- you know, he's super super special. And one thing about Gardner is, you know, I mean. The guy, again, we're talking about age. You know, Gardner is 21. So, you know, I mean, he, this is going to be a great event for the next, this may be the marquee event in track and field for the next 
you know, going through the 2020 Olympics. Because think about it. We've got Wade Van Niekert, maybe the biggest sprint star, you know, even though it's a long sprint. He's 25. He's the world record holder. He's sort of going to be taking on the Michael Johnson same boat role in terms of PR if he can come through. But then we've got Fred Curley. He's 22. Obviously, he looks like he's a little bit past his peak, but he's the American. Koala is going to be 30. He'd probably be hard-pressed to keep maintaining this. But then you've got Gardner at 21. So it's really just a fantastic event, you know, moving forward. Robert, I'm just going to run that back for a second. You just compared Stephen Gardner, a guy who has never made a world championship or Olympic final in his career until tonight, to Michael Johnson, doing the same thing Michael Johnson did. When Michael Johnson set that world record in the final in Seville, he'd already won world titles in 1993, 1995, 1997. And, oh, he was also the Olympic champion in 1996. I think they're going in. He, he was prepared. He knew, you know, how to navigate the rounds like this. He wasn't in unknown territory. For Gardner, this is all new to him. And, you know, I, he, like you said, he's very young. He could be a lot, but he could uh, improve a lot. But to suggest that he could do something that only Michael Johnson, you know, the greatest 400 no. runner in history has ever done, I think is a little bit absurd. I think this is a fake news controversy, John. I think you're misunderstanding what I was saying. I was basically agreeing with you by saying, look how hard it is. Fred Curley couldn't do it. But I was pointing out that it has been done before. So okay, okay. originally when I was looking up the stats, it's never been done. And I, in my brain, thought the only person who possibly could have done this would probably be Michael Johnson. Maybe somebody, maybe uh, LaShawn Merrick's done it. I, I didn't look it up, but I looked up Johnson as we were talking about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would be pretty shocking considering that Gardner's, I mean, he did run 44-27 in 2015, but last year only ran 44-46. And then coming into Worlds this year, um, well, he is undefeated, but he hasn't raced anywhere. He's, I mean, he, I guess he ran Stockholm 44-58 and Doha 44-60, but hadn't run fast. So he did win two DL meets early in the season. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that being lightly raced certainly helps. I mean, he, he's probably like a, he's certainly a big talent like for Fred Curley, but the difference between the two is Curley sort of a little bit tired and Gardner seems to be in his prime for the season right now. So um going to be fantastic stuff, you know, really. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have a lot to talk about in the show. Um, and um, going to be great stuff. Hey. So anything else, guys? Speaking of uh, Aquala, well, John, first of all, how are you feeling? I was just – Reading up a little more of it, trying to figure out what hotel this was at. And yeah, what, the, uh, the hotel is is the uh, Tower Hotel, John, where the marathon was. So they had the best food spread of anything we've seen so far. Usually we're eating sort of some bars, and that's about it. But uh, Tower Hotel had a full spread. I heard one journalist say that uh, he might go back to watch. There's going to be three race, race walks on Sunday. And he seriously told me, he's like, I'm going to go cover the race walks just to eat that food. <laughs> Turns it, So be careful what you ask for. It turns out that food um, is, is, is where everybody was getting sick. Yeah. yeah now, luckily, I, I've survived it. Is it being covered in the press over there? Because the press drives me nuts, even though we, I guess we are members of the press ourselves. But I don't go for these clickbait headlines. Like, if this was in a third world country, if this was Kenya hosting it, or even sort of, uh, you know, one of these strongman countries like China or something to go, oh, the food and the terrible organization. Instead, you know, it's enlightened London and 
you know, people were didn't even believe it. On the message board, someone said that, that McCullough was sick, and someone's like, yeah, there's no way he has food poisoning. That's made up. So is it getting press reports over there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. yeah. Um, they already sent out – the local organizing committee already sent out a statement on it uh, that it's an issue, and, you know, the BBC's been reporting on it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah, well they already sent out The local organizing committee already sent out a statement on it. Uh, on Hello? Yeah. I will echo there. Um, so McCall, the BBC has an interview with McCullough right now, and they're interviewing him right there on the river in front of the Tower Hotel. Um, and essentially he says, you know, he looks okay, and he says it would be devastating not to be allowed to run the race and about a two-minute clip. So, you know, they found him. He wants to run. Sounds like some people may try to prevent him to run, but, you know, he said he could have run yesterday. I did my warm-up well and was ready to run. Feel ready to run today, tonight. Um, I feel bad about yesterday. I was ready for this. I've worked hard for this. So expect him to see him there. That's a little drama. Our sport needs drama. So go to bbcco.uk slash sport slash athletics if you want to find that interview. Well, it sounds like we've got some problems with Robert right now, uh, but I think, you know, Weldon, looking at that, that's, I think we've covered pretty much everything in terms of, you know, the great 1500 last night, the great finals yet to come tonight. Uh, I, you know, is there anything else you want to touch on? Are you ready to uh, get back to the track and watch some more world-class athletics tonight? I'm ready to get to the track, but I'm, I'm not like you. I'm not heading over. I think we've got about five hours. So well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for a run. i got to get ready for that journalist. 800 meters on Thursday. Um, yeah, that's actually a very – that's the, the hardest race to get into in London is the uh, media 800. There's already a wait list. I think it's maxed out at 120 entries, and so, several people didn't get in. So uh, lucky enough, both of, Weldon and I advanced out of the prelims, quote-unquote, which was just signing up at the media center. So um, we should first be time at, First time ever I signed up early for something in my life, and it paid off. Um, any journalists out there, Sean Engel, you want to buy my spot? We're, we're up. We're up to negotiate. But otherwise, I'm going to go see my doctor today. Um, you know, get some treatment. She's ready to go. I didn't know uh, that you guys had time. I thought I'm, I'm staying up late watching West Coast baseball, trying to keep my eyes awake till midnight, one a.m., and then getting up at seven a.m. to get ready for the eight a.m. podcast, which ended up not being live for technical difficulties. I was told we only had thirty minutes. I was rushing my <laughs> thoughts. Yet again, we've run over to 45 minutes in length. So, um, good to hear, guys. Good to hear, anyways. But um, should be some exciting. I'm, I'm still debating whether I want you to put down the big bet on Jager. Well, can we count it as business expense? Business uh-huh. investment. You, you you can count it as a personal. You can do a win, but I shouldn't say personal loss, but. Um... They also have limits on betting on these obscure uh, sports. So, I don't know. I think so, at least. But um, I think we've covered it all. So, I will sign off for all of us. We will be doing this tomorrow, um, hopefully improving a bit. And maybe tomorrow we actually will be live, so you guys can call in and take some calls. But 
the world's we're not even halfway through, I don't think, John. Wednesday, Thursday. It means Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. End today of should today. Be Today's day today. five of ten. So today, after tonight, we're only halfway through. It's crazy to think because we've had such great action. I'm trying to think like what we got to look forward to, but there's a lot to come. You know, we haven't started the men's fifteen, women's eight, uh, four by ones. There's just a ton to come. So for Robert Johnson and Jonathan Ball, this is Welton Johnson signing off from London.